Hey, good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. As you heard Zach say, we had students just get back from a conference, week-long conference called CIY Move. Two of those students are with us this morning to read to us our passages from the book of Hebrews. So let's give it up for Nolan Stoltz and Gabe Rentfro. Hebrews 4 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 5, 7-9. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as the perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Awesome. Thanks, Nolan. Thank you, Gabe. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your eternal, ever true, and ever good word. We ask God that you would be our teacher in these next few minutes as we come here with open Bibles, open minds, and open hearts. Uh, Lord, we give this time to you. Use it, Lord, please, to help us grow as your disciples. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you, do you ever or have you ever felt alone, solitary in your struggle, isolated in your challenges and temptations, or misunderstood as you navigate the trials of life. We likely have all felt that at some point or another. We've all felt alone, and we may be tempted to think that God, above all, is the least likely to understand or empathize with our weaknesses. But this morning, we're going to see that the opposite is true, that we are far from alone, and that God understands us better than even we understand ourselves. We're going to see this morning, as we've been seeing throughout this letter of Hebrews so far, that Jesus is God. And today we're going to see the emphasis that God became in Jesus very human. If we were to sum up what we're going to see today, we'd do it like this. Jesus walks with us in our humanity and adds to us his divinity. He's everything we ever need. He relates to us in every way. So let's dive in. Are you ready? All right. The four of us are going to dive in. The rest of you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. We're all ready. I know we're ready. Hebrews chapter 4. We just heard Nolan read it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, the original readers of this letter, remember as we've been learning, the reason this is called the letter to the Hebrews is because these are Hebrew Christians, people who grew up Jewish, but have realized that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that all their prophets and all of their scriptures were pointing to. So they grew up with a Jewish uh, tradition, worldview, way of looking at things, 
And so the writer of this letter is speaking a language that these readers will understand. They knew who a priest and what a high priest was. A priest worked at the temple. Priest represented God to the people and represented the people to God. A priest was the go-between. Now, what we realize, even as we learned last week, Jesus, he transcends the temple and he melds God and human into one. He is the ultimate go-between. In fact, what we're reading here is essentially that he is the highest high priest. That there, we read throughout the scriptures now, is no other mediator that is needed between us as people who say yes to Jesus and God himself. That he is the one and only necessary mediator. There is a human now in heaven, is one way you could summarize what the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey here. God became fully human, even while remaining fully God. And now it says he has ascended to heaven. Hold firmly to this, we're told. Remember last week, twice we were reminded to hold firmly. Someone say it with me again, hold firmly. Hold firmly to this faith that we profess. So this is an important point, especially for those immediate readers, to, to let them know, hey, there is a priest higher than any other, and his name is Jesus. Now let's talk about why he's higher than any other. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Anyone got a weakness or two? Right? This is good news for us, that we have a high priest who is not unable uh, to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This high priest is so great, no one is higher, but he's also compassionate. He is both above us and among us. This is part of the mystery, you might say, of the incarnation, the idea that God became a human being. Now, one thing I love about this passage and so many others throughout Scripture is that no one here is denying our weaknesses. The fact that I have them and you have them is nothing that the Scriptures try to gloss over or ignore. Now, the irony, of course, and even the tragedy, is that uh, nowadays the church and Christians are often known for doing exactly that, right? Ignoring and or trying to gloss over the fact that life is hard. You and I have weaknesses that we're human. So often church uh, becomes this place that is known by others as the place where you need to put on a, a mask, so to speak. Everyone better smile, be shiny, happy people. And it's not the place to be vulnerable or to be real. Now, we don't get that from the scriptures. That's something that somehow has been kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a bad way of thinking that's kind of grown up among uh, Christianity in our world today. But we here at Outlook try to eradicate that false idea. That being a part of a church is exactly, that, that, that to be at church, to be with your friends and your brothers and sisters at church, man, that's exactly the space where you should feel safe to be vulnerable, to come clean about your weaknesses and receive the grace of God and the support of others. No one's denying our weaknesses, not in Scripture, and God certainly doesn't either. Amazingly, in fact, the Bible says that Jesus has felt what we feel, and he's dealt with what we deal with. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. 
Our weaknesses are no surprise to God. He understands. The God-man, Jesus Christ, also encountered and endured our very human temptations and pressures. And he remained strong throughout. So we should really catch this important point because sometimes we can get sideways on it. We can kind of beat ourselves up with shame or we can discount our own life experience and we can distance ourselves from God. But check this out. If Jesus was tempted, and we just read that he was in every way, just as we are. If Jesus was tempted yet did not sin, that means being tempted is not a sin. That means that when you and I face or even struggle with temptation, what we are living is a human existence, the same human existence Jesus lived. And so often we can think, especially if we've been around some religious people who love to dole out shame and condemnation, we can feel like something's deeply wrong with us because we struggle with temptation. But we read here that Jesus struggled with temptation too. He did not give in to it. This is why we can say he conquered both sin and death by rising from the dead. That's why he's such a great high priest. That's why he's perfect. That's why he's our savior. But experiencing temptation does not make us any less like Jesus, who also dealt with every kind of temptation. It makes us human, just as he was. Now, a little earlier in Hebrews, this point was kind of introduced, and we read it a couple weeks ago. But I want to bring it back because it speaks uh, to what we're now the writer of Hebrews is expounding on here in chapter 4. Back in chapter 2, we read about Jesus. He had to be made like them, meaning us, humanity, the humanity that he came to save, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's you and me, right? This idea that Jesus was God made fully human in every way is core to this faith that we profess. Jesus is fully divine and fully human. So he's not separated from us or our experience. My day-to-day and yours is something Jesus can understand and empathize with because he walked as this earth as a human being. He's with us in every sense of the term. In fact, that's the whole, great, that's the whole point. It's a great distinctive of our faith. Unlike various human-centered religions which try to attain union with the divine through meditation or good karma or religious rule following, here we see the glorious truth that the divine has chosen to unite completely with us, skin and all. As we remind ourselves each Christmas time, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this potent truth of the incarnation that we've run into every sermon so far, every passage so far in Hebrews, we keep running into this idea that it's so central. God became a human being. It's now being applied in, in the area of temptation, but this truth is an important and central one, and it is pertinent to the issues of our day. This truth is exactly why we see human life as sacred, why our world's debate about, about abortion means so much to us. 
Now, the issue is layered. Any thoughtful stepping into this issue will run you squarely into several important questions, questions of empowering and defending women, of holding men accountable, questions of poverty and justice, and more and more important and essential challenges and failures that the church can play a credible role in addressing. But one very simple and steady truth sits at the center of this. God became human and began as a zygote and an embryo and a fetus. The good news was first announced, this whole thing, in terms of conception. You will conceive, the angel told Mary, and give birth. So this informs our view of human life thoroughly. Famously, the psalmist wrote in 139, he prayed, you knit me together, speaking to God, in my mother's womb. Forget the politics or even the so-called culture wars. Even set aside for a moment uh, the fact that this week the law of our government, a government that will not last forever, but in that law has for now been different than it's been before. And just think of God and his son. Think of the wonder of divinity and humanity fused together and given such meaning, what it says about what it means to be human. The conception of a human life is how God got this whole thing started. Our Savior began the incarnation in exactly that way, announced exactly in those terms. Now, I encourage you, enter into loving dialogue with those who see this issue differently than you do. And please, do that without the shaming and the vilifying that sadly has come to be the norm on both sides of this. You know, here at Outlook, we believe deeply, because of our convictions based in Scripture, we believe deeply in both the equality of women and the sanctity of life. This is a space our society says essentially doesn't exist, but we stand right there because we realize God's truth places us there. Fully human in every way. Can't be overstated how powerful and important that reality is and the implications that it has on how we view life, all, all of life. Let's go back to the central thrust of our passage here, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We can't follow Jesus in any comprehensive way when we forget his humanity and think that he was bulletproof to temptation, that he was more God than human instead of fully both. When we think that way, it ends up putting distance between us and God, which is the opposite of why God became human. Jesus is, as we're saying here this morning, with us. He adds his divinity to our humanity. Now, when we think about temptation, we're being told here that Jesus batted a thousand, and we never will. But hear this, also in these passages, season after season, our batting average can rise. My prayer is that refreshing ourselves on these realities, that there is a perfect high priest who has suffered in every way that we have yet did not sin can help us, as we read here, in our time of need. In our time of testing, there is a help. There is a helper. 
Let us hold firmly to that faith we profess. If we refresh ourselves on realities like this one, it can save us and those around us from a world of hurt and heartache. C.S. Lewis uh, was a writer from several decades ago, a thinker who's influenced people now for generations. And uh, what, might, what you might not know about him was he also replied to every letter anyone ever wrote to him. And late in his life, Lewis wrote back to someone who had asked him about dealing with temptation. And this is what he had to say. Of course, I have had and still have plenty of temptations. Frequent and regular prayer, frequent and regular communions, the bread and cup that we'll take here ourselves in just a moment, are a great help, he wrote, whether they feel at the time as if they're doing you good or whether they don't feel that way. Right? I love that. Whether you feel it or not, the faithfulness of the act can really be of a tremendous strength. But then he goes on. Perhaps, however, the most important thing is to keep on, not to be discouraged, however often one yields to the temptation, but always to pick yourself up again and ask forgiveness. What transparent and practical advice he gives here. He says, I, I still face plenty of temptations, and I find that the simple practice of constant prayer and steady communion will, and, and the idea of picking myself up, confessing, asking forgiveness, and keep moving forward. I recently shared this quote uh, with an outlooker who emailed me after giving into a temptation and then letting their guard down and asking, what should I do? And my answer was, you're doing it. You're already doing it. You're recognizing that this happened. You're bringing it before the Lord. You're even sharing it with a trusted brother in Christ, and you're ready to move on. You, you've expressed how you feel about that. It's just that simple. Don't let that temptation, or even the fact that you've given into it, now keep you separated from God. But instead, as we read in verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Confidence in myself? No, not really. Confidence, though, in a God who says he knows and loves me. That because of that throne of grace, because of the promise of God's love and mercy that we will find in our time of need, we can approach him. Regardless of what we've done, how we feel about what, what's happened in or through us, we can at any given moment stop even this moment right here and turn to God. Because Jesus is fully human and fully God, we can confidently turn to him. See, the Jews, they looked for a priest, a go-between. This was baked into their system. The writer of Hebrews is saying, I've got one for you, and he replaces all the others. He's the highest of high priests. Some expressions of our faith here, even in our modern day, do this same thing. But it's a mistake to think that it's necessary. Christ is available to all by his spirit who say yes to him. No other mediators are necessary. A hidden shame is a heavy burden. Confess it to your high priest. It can also be good and, in fact, very scriptural to share it with a trusted brother or sister, but you do not need any other priest but the Lord Jesus himself. So approach him, the scriptures say. It's been said that the root of our sins, our self-inflicted wounds, our heartaches, is often prayerlessness, not approaching 
him. It's difficult to wander far from a point that you keep returning to daily. Keep coming back to that throne of grace. Keep returning to him in prayer. As Lewis said, no matter how many times you fall, get up and walk on. Keep doing that. Simple simple in understanding, not always simple in execution thing. And you will grow in your faith. Jesus is with you. He's adding and is always ready to add his divinity to our humanity. See, Jesus was fully human, but not merely human. And when we turn to Jesus, we too become something more than merely human. Jesus never sinned. He broke the power of sin. And he's with us, so we don't have to go it alone. Think about it like this. Temptations surround us. And we won't accidentally keep ourselves from falling into temptation. We'll only do that intentionally. The temptations around us are a click away, a tap away, they're a look away, a question away, a thought away. It's all around us. The question for us is how will we resist? Well, the answer, and the the way to find that answer is to ask this question. How did Jesus resist? What can he teach us, and how can we follow his Example. This is a question that actually can be easily answered. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus fed on the higher truth of Scripture because temptation is always essentially a lie, isn't it? Temptation is an empty promise that something will be worth it when really it's not. But we need to feed on higher truth. You've probably heard that when Jesus, there was a moment early in his ministry at the beginning when Jesus went into the wilderness. He'd been fasting. And the tempter, one of the Bible's words for the devil, came to him. It says at one point the devil says, hey, turn these stones into bread. We both know that you're hungry and you can do it. And Jesus answered, it is written, quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, people don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later the devil says, let's go to the temple, to the tip top. And throw yourself off because you know the angels will save you and everyone will see it and understand just how awesome you really are. Jesus said, it is written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil says, bow down to me and I'll give you all the power of all the kingdoms of the world, which is certainly an empty lie if anything ever was. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Faced with each temptation, Jesus fought back with the word of God. He knew what was written in that holy book. He drew from what he knew in that book to counteract the temptation that was facing him. It is written, it is written, it is written. And check this out. Even as its author, it's what he needed and required, right? It's the word of God. Jesus is God. And yet even as the author of this holy word, He knew it's what he needed in his own time of temptation. Now, if Jesus needed the power of God's word, how much more do you and I when we face temptation? So as you are growing in your faith, I hope that you're reading your Bible. Even And we're here to help you with with this at any level that that you'd like. I hope you're finding passages that you see as particularly useful or pertinent to your own journey and what you're going through in life and that you're grabbing those. Maybe you're writing them down, you're carrying them with you, you're reading them every now and then, you're putting them in your mind, hiding them, as the psalmist said, in your heart. Because you see, our souls are starved for truth. Truth is the food, it's the fuel 
of our spirit. We need that truth. And without it, we're starving. And when we're starving, we're weak. And when we're weak, we fall. We need God's word in our lives and in our hearts to keep us strong. Jesus did. We certainly do too. Here's the way Paul put it to the Corinthians. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. And friends, spoiler alert, the way out is him, right? We learned last week, fixing our thoughts on Jesus and his truth is exactly the way to his life. And so the way out of any temptation or testing that we face is to begin to follow his example and to follow him, to know his truth. Back to our passage here in Hebrews 5 as we start to wrap up. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. We're certainly encountering here some of the the mystery of the Trinity and the Incarnation, right? Jesus is fully God, and yet he's also a human who leaned on God, depended on God, cried out to God. Jesus prayed a lot, if you read the Gospels, the Gospel stories of his life. We see that he was constantly spending time with the Father. He knew the Word. He prayed a lot. Good places for you and I to start. Verse 8, even though Jesus was God's Son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. The fact that the Son of God suffered, this is continually emphasized throughout the scriptures and cannot be overlooked, that God, in his full humanity as Jesus, then suffered terribly. He arrived in humility He suffered in seeming weakness. He pressed through to victory over sin and death. He did not come to exercise physical power, financial power, political power, imperial power. He came in actual weakness and then executed that power through his submission to the cross and his rising from the dead. This was the way he showed his power. This is what makes him the perfect high priest. We need no other. This is what makes him the source of eternal salvation. There is no other. And this is true for all those who obey him. So this morning, let me just ask you to turn to him or to return to him today. There is a God who knows and loves everything about us. Every one of us sees us where we are right now. No matter what you've done up to this moment, no matter what's led you to this place, whether you're here with me in the room or you're watching online, I'd encourage you to say yes to Jesus again today. You're not alone, so don't try to go it alone. You're loved and understood by Christ, and yes, by us as well. So say yes. There's a QR code on the back of of the seat in front of you. You can You can scan that, and you'll see a button that you can follow that talks about saying yes. We'd love to start that conversation with you. If you're online with us, you can go to outlookchurch.org slash yes. But no matter what that looks like for you, it's never a bad thing to say yes to Jesus again and again and again. He's walking with you in all of your humanity and mine, 
And he's adding adding to it always his divinity, his love, his grace, and his wisdom. Let's carry that thought to the bread and the cup this morning. If you have your bread and cup, I'd encourage you to to grab it. When we think about Jesus adding his his divinity to our humanity, that is definitely kind of uh, expressed in this small meal that he asks us to take when we gather together in worship. And when we talk about this being true for all those who obey him, what we're talking about is people who say yes to him. And every week we get this chance to say yes again, exactly as he asked. Like there's this moment, no matter what our week is contained, there's this moment where we can say, I know right now I'm obeying Jesus. There's just no question about at least this moment right here. Might be a lot of questions about a lot of moments throughout our week, right? But at least in this moment right here, mm, no real question. I'm going to obey Jesus because he said that we should remember him by taking the bread, which represented his body broken for us. And that we should do it in remembrance of him. Let's obey him in that. He said similar words about the cup. That it represented his blood shed to seal a brand new promise from God. A promise of grace. A promise of provision. Of love. Of access to him. As our perfect high priest. So let's remember him and take the cup together as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth. It's, these are deep truths or big truths. They're, they're truths that can be um, not always easy to wrap our heads around. But Lord, they do move us. They move our hearts. They, they move us to say yes to you, Lord. They move us to cry out to you as we read that Jesus cried out to you. They move us to, to, to lean on you in our time of need, that you're there to help. Something in us knows we need help. And God, thank you that you provide it. Thank you that you faithfully do so. So Lord, again and again, throughout the week that we have ahead, help us to remember what we've heard this morning. That you're ready, you stand ready to help. That you're with us. That in all our humanity, you keep adding your divinity, your power, and your grace. Help us to receive it in each moment that we need it. In your name we pray, amen.